Hello, creative people. Welcome to Creative Conversations. My name is Hollis Citron, and we are so happy that you have chosen to spend your time with us. I am owner and founder of I Am Creative and Express Yourself Publishing, and I am on a mission to expand the definition of creativity beyond a pencil and a paintbrush and to empower people, especially adults, to own their voices and talents that come in so many different forms. This space was created to talk to people with all different kinds of jobs, hobbies, and interests, and to have conversations about experiences and perspectives all centered around three questions. How do you define creativity? How do you incorporate it into your life? And why do you think it's important? Then we have a free-flowing conversation and we see where it goes. So I have had the opportunity to speak to so many. I've spoken to musicians, comedians, doctor, lawyer, wrestlers, Reiki masters, and entrepreneurs as young as 13. And these conversations explore the reality that creativity is not cute, it is necessary. People have defined creativity as that magic spark, how we show up in our life, imagination, basically all that we are and want to be, do, or have. So I believe from my heart that sharing these stories gives one the ability to expand their thinking, open themselves up for more self-expression, to feel more empowered, connected, and dare I say, happy. So my inspiring guest for today is Tina Bakehouse. She started her own company, Tina B LLC, to provide speaking and storytelling, consulting and coaching to help heart-centered leaders and organizations internationally and nationally communicate more effectively. With more than 20 years of teaching communication and theater, 10 years at Creighton University, a former universe, uh, excuse me, a former Disney cast member and TEDx speaker. Oh my gosh! And coach, Tina is passionate about educating others to become more self-aware and enhance their speaker style. Tina, welcome to the space. Hello, hello! I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so happy that you're here. Welcome, welcome, Miss Tina. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Hollis. It's just, there's nothing better than connecting with a fellow creative who really, really believes in creativity. Oh my gosh. I so agree. I so agree. So thank you. So before we dive in, tell us just like a little bit about you before we even learn more about you, please. Well, I'm, I live here on a farm in Southwest Iowa, so I'm a goat whisperer. I love, love, love my goats and have grown up on a farm, lived in a city. So I have this book into farm, right? I never thought I'd get married or, you know, at all, but then I find a farmer and find my way back on a farm. And so that's a big part of the who that I am. I also just am super passionate about the world needs effective communication and the audience has two choices. They can choose to either tune you out or listen. And as a heart-centered creative, I believe that we need to share those stories. And, you know, ever since I was a little girl at four years old, I was inspired by Jim Henson and the Muppets, by Disney and the storytelling and evolution. And hence why I pursued that uh, job as a cast member. And even for her namesake, Tina Fey, you know, I keep looking at how not only is her name awesome, but she invented herself over and over again from an improv performer, writer, and scripted mm -hmm. actor. Those kinds of people have inspired me to be the creative from teaching and using creativity there in that space 
to working in for-profit at a bank as a chief creative officer to non-profit enhancing storytelling and the arts in eight counties here in Southwest Iowa. That is what it's all about is evolving, growing, changing, and it's always been creativity has been my path. This is going to be such a rich conversation. <laughs> I, I love it. I cannot wait. So just to let you know, if you're moving stuff around, it's kind of getting accentuated by sound. Okay. Um, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So just letting you know. So I'll gesture less. <laughs> <laughs> is that what's happening? Is your, are you? <laughs> I was gesturing with my phone in my hand. <laughs> I can totally see because everybody, she's Tona is, excuse me. I am tired today. I apologize. Tina is like very expressive. So you can hear it in her voice, but yeah, she uses her body. <laughs> so thank you for that feedback. <laughs> I was giving you feedback physically. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. So we're going to dive into the would you rather question first. And I want to acknowledge Leslie is here. So Leslie, welcome. Welcome. Glad that you're Hi, here. Hi, Leslie. Yay. So, okay. So we're going to do a would you rather. And I think I know this answer, but, but I don't know. So we'll see. So. Would you rather be forced to sing along or dance to every single song you hear? Uh, dance. Ah, see, I didn't know. I thought you were going to say sing. Oh my gosh, it's so hard though. Because my body, like, here's what's funny. The reason why I said dance is what happened last week. I was at a Women Leading Change conference and literally there was music in the background and it was uh, from Dirty Dancing, Time of Your Life. It's like the mantra for young girls that grew up in the 80s. Right. And someone was talking to me and I started just moving and they're like, oh my gosh, you're like dancing to that song and I didn't even tune into it. But yes, I belt, I'm also that person that belts out the songs that people see at stoplights. Hmm. So I want to break the rule and say, Please both. <laughs> there we go. I was going to say you could give a totally creative answer. So there we Thank go. you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you got both. I totally understand that whole um, singing at the stoplight too. And oh, even yes. like dancing and singing while driving down the highway. Yeah, I am that person. Absolutely. With yeah. big head bobs, rocking it fully, being caught. And then you know, with my window down and then people start, it's kind of contagious, right? Like a positive panacea where people just cannot help, but join along. It is. Oh my God, everybody. So do that. It is so true because people do, they can't help but smile. Sometimes there's the awkward eye contact and they're like, they kind of don't know what to do sometimes, but generally people will smile and then either dance along or at least just smile and acknowledge. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it is contagious. Music is a connector, right? It's, it's like this beautiful form of creativity. And I feel as though it's a means of sharing creativity together. And when I grew up, we had st little stereo systems that we had music and we'd slap the seats on the school bus and we'd sing songs together and jam. Well, then this thing called uh, a Walkman came into play <laughs> and you started to get private with your music. You would jam and bounce your head, but you couldn't hear each other's music. But sometimes you'd bop your, your headphone over to the other friend and then you'd, you know, heads together, you'd, you'd jam. I think there's something magical when you can share music together. That is so, that is a very good point. Very true. When it all of a sudden became private. Mm-hmm. 
And you're right, because it is a connector and it does, it just makes people smile and it takes people back to memories. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the beauty of music. That's the beauty of all of that, where it takes you back to a time. It just gives you a feeling. It can give you a smell. It just, it, it's kind of all, um, what's the, it just kind all of encompassing. Yes, that's the word. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. <laughs> okay. Oops. Sorry, just dropped something. Okay, so here we go. That was a good exclamation point, very Muppet style. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, I just had a whole day in the classroom, which was kind of frenetic, and now I'm here, so I'm kind of like, blah. So, okay. So the first official official question is Tina, how do you define creativity? Well, I have to say, Hollis, you've been in my spirit all day today, and we actually had this conversation at the at the breakfast table. I, I wanted my 12-year-old and my husband to talk about it, and I wanted to share their insights, then I'll give my definition if that's okay. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So my 12-year-old son, uh, he said, you know, creativity is when you imagine and then this cool stuff enters your head, and then you do something with that idea that just pops up. And then my husband, who's a farmer, and he's very creative with how he initiates, he's all about soil health. He says that it's jumping in and doing a task and being open to the feedback you receive and then trusting yourself that the creativity will come. And even one of my friends I was talking with today and said, hey, I have this cool conversation I'm going to have with Hollis about creativity. She says, absolutely, creativity requires trust. That's my friend Elvira, and I agree with that. I define creativity, it's a form of expression in your own individual way. It's the making and doing something, you know, some really cool things, fear-free, pressure-free, that makes your heart sing faithfully with 100% heart. It's art, it's what it means to be human, and it's a response to inspiration. What it means to be human. Yeah. We we are creators. We're born creators. Mm-hmm. And people get lost along the way in actually believing that, don't they? They do. They do. And that's where I think there's there's an element of doing. I mean, that's the verb create. That's part of the noun creativity. And the, the E at the end is, you know, the you part of it, of the beingness, that if you're not creating. And I think sometimes people tend to say, well, creativity, I'm not creative, which I think is false. Everybody is creative. Um, they, they lend it into, well, you're an artist, you're, you're doing visual art, you're doing writing, you're performing, you're a storyteller. Well, yes, those are all creative art, but everyone is creative because it's in that response to it being inspired. So whether you're into science, uh, you can be super inspired by what, how animals respond to ground and how to make the, the soil healthier or you could be inspired by um, by by teaching students, you know, history and how events of the past affect the future. And then you you talk of that and you try to encourage people to how do we know better, do better. And so I think it's this idea that all of us are creative. It's doing and it's being. I'm just kind of taking it in. Um... It's, I really appreciate the fact, thank you for having the conversation around the table this morning. 
You were part of me all day today, Hollis. I've just been really excited about this conversation. But I was also curious of people's perspective on that word, you know, when you're little and how it's just because even my son, his initial reaction was, well, mom, it's just who I am. Like, I don't even think about it. And I thought, oh, wow, that's really cool. Whereas as adults, I think we morph into this heavy weightedness that comes along with creativity that we're supposed to be or do this high level when really it's our state of being every day is, you know, today I did some writing for my book. I was creating, I had conversations that's creating and, and, and being, and whether you have a concrete, I think all of us have some form of a concrete object at the end of it, you know, creativity is abstract, but we form and do things that's concrete and, but it could also be things happen because of conversation. And so I think we as adults uh, tend to put a lot of heavy weight on it. Like I did as calling myself a storyteller. I'm owning that word now. It was like, oh, am I worthy of the word storyteller? And I think maybe we do the same with creativity. It's, I couldn't agree more. And I think what you're saying is that people so often get caught up in, in a product because mm-hmm. Uh, it's that whole thing. I mean, I say creativity goes beyond a pencil and a paintbrush. It's like, well, if I can't draw or paint, that means I can't create this product. Mm. So here in what you're saying is the doing, the being, the trusting, the expression, the imagination. It's all of these elements that form a product, which is a conversation or a feeling or um anything like that is a product of these things, which means that you're creating. It right. And it's trusting it, the process and trusting of the self. And I think, you know, I was listening because I can't help but go back to Elizabeth Gilbert's big magic book. And I love her mm-hmm. and her passion for creativity. And she talks about how fear is a necessary companion. You, you need to take some risks. And I think sometimes we get stuck. And so that's where the magic happens is when we're open to that and, and it's necessary part of the human condition. And getting into what Mihai Sentamihai talks about with flow, and that's when the most beautiful things happen. And that that's part of our creative human spirit is we're happiest and most content when we're willing to get into flow and have that balance of originality, but authenticity that we can be crippled by, well, what if, what if it's been done before? I mean, but not by you. It's, mm-hmm. it's keeping it within the self that you are and being open to saying, you know, I can make this original. I can have a fresh perspective on whatever that thing is. Right, right. So let's get into a conversation to learn even more about you. I call this, let's chat about protecting audience audiences from boring speakers. And we're going to lead however we kind of get to that. Um, speaking more about that, but I just love your journey. And uh, just from the fact that since you were four years old or and seven and performing in shows with your family and in front of your family and all the things that you've done, wherever you want to start, um, kind of take us on your journey. And I also want to say too, like jobs were created for you because this is the kind of energy you seem to hold. And you just, people obviously see that you hmm. are a creator. So people are like, oh, well, we actually need that. The job doesn't exist, but we'll make it for you. It's kind of like that energy that you bring with things. So um, yeah, take us on a little ride about 
your life. I would here. absolutely love to go on this beautiful roller coaster with you, Hollis. Uh, yeah, thank you. I I can't not create, and I am a creative problem solver through and through. And my background in theater and speech communication has always had to be a part of every every single job I did. I mean, from the very first time I was a waitress in an indoor outdoor coffee uh, shop slash restaurant. I, I took it upon myself to be super creative with the desserts. And I'd ask my boss, I'm, I'm 16 years old. And I said, do these desserts have names? And she said, no. I said, well, can I create names and make it super fun and see what happens? And she says, sure. And the first day I did it, I would create stories for these different, you know, <laughs> different beautiful uh, pieces of dessert and we sold out and she goes, what did you do? And I said, I created story and name and the, the, the chocolate cake became a zesty zucchini chocolate cake because you got to have adjectives. And I told a story of someone who truly tried it that was like, I have to have it, you know? So that started this spur of, I mean, hooking people through story through language that I just found fascinating. And so from there, I got a, I, I had done high school speech and college theater and, and speech and competitions and all of that. Got a degree in communication studies in psychology because I thought, what a beautiful marriage. I love people, enjoy people, see people as helping move the needle forward for the greater good. But you gotta understand the self and the other and that's mm -hmm. where psychology comes into play. So I worked in HR, which was a hilarious journey for me because HR, that is not my personality, but it gave me a foundation of understanding of interviewing and personality and aligning, matching tasks to talent and how important that is. And using my Spanish speaking skills when I would have individuals come in for labor positions that didn't know much English and building on that, as well as just uh, some training and development. And one day I just decided I no longer want to work HR. I need a second BA in teaching. And so I convinced a temp to jump in a car, take a personal day. And we drove a round trip total of eight hours to a college that's known for teaching. I applied, got accepted in that fall. I went and got a theater English speech high school teaching degree uh, and had landed a job um, right after I completed my student teaching for an inner city school and taught for about five and a half years speech English and theater and it was during that time that I realized just how much I want the, the content and to build on that and teach college and so I got my advanced degrees during that time and then landed a position at Creighton University and taught 10 years there in the communication studies department. And what I loved is I, I developed a communication center. I saw the value in supporting students, not only in their journey as a communicator, but also how do you present in teams of more than two people, because mm -hmm. that can be awkward, and then supporting other faculty on the campus to, to share their insights when they research making it uh, approachable and engaging, not boring, because boredom is just bad. It's just not a pretty thing. <laughs> so that, that was always, that was interesting. But it was during that time, and ironically, in 2017, I decided to leave, and here's why. And it's kind of funny now, as I think about it, because most of my, all my courses were going to go online. <laughs> Pandemic, here we come. But uh, I decided I, I'm an in-person type of person and left there and somehow my name got floated by a nonprofit 
And so I went in and I, I reached out to this gal and said, I'd like to have a conversation. We had a conversation and, and they created an outreach and communication coordinator position. And for a year and a half, I worked in the field of really building the arts in Southwest Iowa for eight counties of storytelling, visual artists. We have the Southwest Iowa Art Tour and I really worked a lot with artists. And I even did ag arts camps here on the farm where I did about seven of them for youth and the Ronald McDonald house of teaching families where their food comes from using art, mm. performance, visual, et cetera. And they would make pots with our soil and get to eat out of them. So it was really a powerful experience. And then from there got burnt out from nonprofit as can happen. And I jumped out of the plane figuratively and thought I'm going to work for myself. I've been doing it on the side consulting and, and coaching for a long time and walked into my local bank and said, hey, I made these cute little business cards, felt pretty official that's a chief creative officer and said, here's what I'm doing. Do you have any need for workshops for the bank or coaching? You know, how could I support you and help you? And he looks at me without a beat and says, I'm going to hire you. At what? Mm -hmm. For a bank. And I thought, again, the universe has a great sense of humor. I'm a theater person in a financial institution. How's this going to work? <laughs> right. <laughs> and I do not want to be a marketing person because that's not who I am. No, no, no. And I made that very clear. Well, we laid out what I could do. And that was I ended up being their education person for the for the community. And so I taught financial literacy using puppetry and storytelling. So I brought in my theater, made need versus want super interesting as well as budgeting, fun financial literacy, if you will. And I did community development, supporting small business in the town of Malvern, which is close to my farm. And then I also did um, did agree to do some you know, outreach and light marketing uh within the realms of they called it storytelling but it was really it was kind of marketing but it was these buckets of rich learning that i loved and then boom 2020 happens and 85 ish percent of my job is just gone mm -hmm. and i really had to sit with myself and i spent a lot of time with my goats which sounds crazy but there's something about animals that's soothing and calming and beautiful and so I just watched how they interacted with each other and it was very therapeutic, but I sat with myself and was like, is this really, I mean, I'm in act three of my life. Is this really what I'm called to do? And what I was noticing is my side gigs were really starting to pick up and I'm like, oh, this thing called Zoom, which, hey, do you need a link? You want know, to Zoom is become like the vernacular of, of the last couple of years. And I thought, oh, maybe this is what I want to do. So I had a heart, heart to heart with that very same bank owner who had created a job for me and said, here's where I'm at. And he goes, you know what? I fully support you all in. Mm -hmm. So he's mm -hmm. like, how about give us the last four months, just wrap things up and create your website. We support you. And oh, wow. so I didn't look back and boom, that first year, Tina B LLC storytelling and speaking, consulting and coaching business came to fruition and haven't looked back. It's exploded in a great way with programs for individuals and groups um, consulting for corporate as well as workshops to really help people understand who they are as communicators, their temperament style, and how they can align with that, but communicate with confidence and clarity of messages that matter and making those messages get to the hearts and land in that space of the audience to be an audience centered for all communications co-creation. And my belief is you have to talk about the thing you care about to make positive change happen, whether it's your, your uh, 
community art program, whether it's the environment or mental health. Mm. Gosh. Whew. Okay. Journey and I'm sticking to it. I have a creative <laughs> unicorn here in Southwest Iowa. <laughs> you are. Oh my God. So there's so much to say, but I have to go back and I know our guest, she's, he's not with us right now. He just, he left, but he said he really enjoys storytelling also. That's awesome. Um, and Leslie, if you have anything to any questions or comments, please just put them in the chat box. Um, I just love going back to the waitressing and the whole thing of, it just came to my mind, you know, accentuating the world is our stage. So here you took this opportunity to be able to, you know, it's your stage when you are presenting food, when you're talking about food, when you're doing anything and you're grabbing people's attention, like you said, it's making it interesting. So I love that you did that. And I think that simple thing of what you just said is so inspiring. Because oh, well, thank you. So, and it just made me so smile easy. because it was a pivotal moment in my life of going, oh, it just came effortless to me. But this is where I get super curious about is understanding how people work and how they too can creatively communicate for the greater good. Well, and then it also like tying it in, there was a lot of stuff in the middle that I love what you said. But then when you just in the end of what you were saying, you said finding people's temperament style. So again, it's the it's the honing in on where people's interests are and what they're um, good at, instead of yes. turning turning them into something that they're not. It's accentuating it's accentuating the skills that they have and their strengths and capitalizing on them absolutely. And that's where I always, with every client I work with, I really tap into you know the who that they are like letting them discover that for themselves and really anchor in their own confidence because they have that ability to be magnetic. And, and that is my mantra is it doesn't matter your personality. Everybody has the capacity to be a creative communicator that connects. Mm -hmm. Creative communicator that connects. When I was teaching, um, one of the biggest skills I think, think that I was taught in the classroom was don't talk too much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Choose your words. I had like a matter of five seconds, sometimes 10 seconds to get people's attention can sound dramatic, but it's just kind of like, okay, I have those five, 10 seconds to get their attention. What words am I going to choose? How am I going to explain something? How am I going to show something and be effective in those choices without people droning out and being like, after mm. speaking for five minutes and then saying, what did you want us to do? Right. Or something else happening where behaviors would then jump in and other stuff would happen because they were bored and confused. Well, right. It's that difference between trying to be interest, interesting versus being interested. And that works especially well when you're in a networking situation of, uh, and I learned this very quickly working for myself is, really drawing from the other and what they have to say and asking thoughtful questions and to, to have that curiosity lead you in the right way. And, and that's where hooking your audience can really be, first of all, it needs to align with what, what the outcome you desire and what you're talking about, but also with your own speaker style. And I had a client just even this morning stressed about an upcoming uh, keynote she is presenting and saying, oh my gosh, is this the, the hook I should really do? And I said, you know, for her, it's this idea of, first of all, trust yourself, 
and mm-hmm. go for a nice walk and, and maybe record the two to three different hooks mm-hmm. and see how they feel. But it's really going from the heart because if you allow the passion that you have for the moment in time, the audience and the topic, then you can lead that communication and where it needs to go. And it's all foundationally based on trust. It is so heart centered, isn't it? It is. It's all comes back to the heart and we get so heady, right. Of, of wondering and we, we, we lean, we need to lean into faith, inner faith from the heart, as opposed to the fear that comes from the head. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes, because that's where the fear lies. It's not in the heart. It's all in the head. And the tape that plays, I mean, if you have a 10 plus desire to connect with someone, to connect with someones when you're speaking, that desire is going to craft something beautiful that is meant to be seen, heard, and understood. And that's what people want, right? Is all we want in this world is to be seen, heard, and understood. Mm -hmm. And the more we tap into the heart, the more you just show up and it, unravels what is what what is meant to be said Mm. so tell me about um tell me about the disney being a disney cast member how old were you and uh i don't know tell a little bit about that experience if you can well it's funny you ask that i always have liked mickey mouse in fact my senior picture i had the big mickey sweater i mean this is the mid 90s with big big hair and just a stuffed animal. And I was fascinated with just the stories and um, how I'd never been to Walt Disney World as a place, but I was fascinated by this. And when I found out my sophomore year of college that I needed an internship, and and mind you, I was at a college, the University of Northern Iowa, no one had ever done the Walt Disney World college program. And I thought, well, I'm going to look into this. And so fortunately had a friend whose uncle was an IT guy connected with them got all like, it was just this devotion. I knew I was going to get in, asked all the questions. Well, lo and behold, I found out that there was a, an interview in Lincoln, Nebraska, which Cedar Falls, Iowa to Lincoln, Nebraska is over five hours away. I don't have a car at the time and my parents never say no to me, but for this moment in time, they're like, sorry, we can't, we can't pick you up. We can't take you. We can't. They said no. And I was in complete and utter, like, they never say no. Like, what's going on? So I called the next best person, my grandmother, and the interview's on her birthday. And she's like, if you can get to Des Moines, which is halfway point, we'll pick you up and take you on my birthday. I said, oh, we can make a lunch out of it and I'll treat you. It'd be awesome. So I was trying to jazz up the, the, so I had to find a ride. So I literally hitched a ride from a pastor I didn't know who was going <laughs> to see someone in the hospital in Des Moines and my grandparents met me there. So the devotion was there. So I get a a big group interview, a small group interview. And then this, then I find out I make another set of phone interviews. And let me tell you, I think this is where they weed people out. I had to call a hundred times. It was busy, Mm -hmm. busy, busy, not getting through that hundredth time. I finally got through and I had to have a quiet space. It was an intense two hour phone interview. Wow. And, um, you know, they had the in-person, they had the notes or whatever. And so then uh, six weeks later, I got the big white manila envelope. And you know, that's not a rejection. Like the little white one or yellow one, you're like, "Mm, I didn't get it. This was big. Got the packet, said, not only did I get in, I got in the Magic Kingdom. Someone else I knew 
was in hospitality. So they were going to clean bathrooms in a hotel. I got in the, the, the place, which is Magic Kingdom, Frontierland. And I started out at Splash Mountain Attraction. And you go through what's called traditions, which you learn the story of Disney, all those great stories, but the culture. And then you do Once Upon a Time, where you get to ride all the rides with the lights on and hear the Imagineers and their stories. Every ride has a story. And then I got promoted to parades. And during that time, got to uh, coordinate the three o'clock parade as well as the Spectrum Magic Night Parade. Got to know all the characters oh and God. prevent people from pouncing Cinderella. And the favorite question I got every day was, when's the three o'clock parade? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a beautiful experience, right? I learned Disney style communication and business. And I've taken that means of specific connection. I mean, you were not to wear sunglasses that had tinted lenses. Eyes were to be seen. Mm. You had a certain, you couldn't lean against a building. You needed to stand up with good posture and lean forward. I mean, they did a lot of, of teaching on nonverbal communication, but also connectivity. But what makes, why they do what they do special and, and not good, but great. Right. Right. I know that it's very secretive from what I've heard is, you know, people who go through, obviously, as you explained, it's not an easy place to work. I mean, it's very, they, it's a process. And when people are in it, I've heard, you know, it's very, there's a ton of trading and there's just certain things that you can't talk about. Well, and there's emotional labor too, right? You're to be on. I mean, and the funny thing was you never go on stage. There's backstage, which is behind the scenes, you know, your guests, you're not, it's not people that are coming. They call the people coming into the park guests, which is very important. But on stage, you have to have a name tag. And one time I forgot mine. So I got to be Marta from Washington, D.C. all day. And that made it difficult connecting with people. Oh, I'm from D.C. And I'm like, oh, dear, now what do I do? Like, this is an emotional dilemma. I don't lie. <laughs> but I've got a name tag on. So I just decided to be funny about it. I was like, well... I actually, yeah, I just decided to tell the truth, say, hey, we at Disney, we are all first name bases. Actually, my name is Tina. They did not have a Tina name tag and I'm from Iowa, but tell me about DC. <laughs> ah, so there we go. Oh my gosh, I love it. Yeah, I brought it back to them. I said, hey, because I couldn't be called Marta all day, you know, but so the first day, first name basis, super important and uh, the value that they placed on that was, was great. But yeah, there, there are challenges for it. And, but at the same time, it was really a special invigorating time. And I'm grateful for that experience because it taught me so much about myself and so much about people and yes. how people on vacation can be very interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm, there's the whole psychology part, right? Yes. I go back to psychology is fascinating. It is. Mm -hmm. That's What's the their core values, et cetera. <laughs> I love hearing people's stories and how the scaffolding happens, even though it may seem erratic at times. It's, it's just everything happens and it builds on itself and builds on itself just to teach you these things that even if it's not immediate, it gets used at some point or it creates greater awareness. Yeah. I think, you know, part, when we think of building a house, right? I live in an 1880s Victorian home that came on a train and then parts and pieces by horse and buggy from another train station. Wow. And I think about how they built this house and how they build any house that you need a blueprint. 
and then you use that blueprint to get materials and then you start the foundation and you build that and then room by room and then once the whole space is made now it's like figuring out where the lights go and electrical work mm. and the decorations well, i think of as humans when we go to look at the blueprint of our lives and i think i'm 46 right now and turning 47 later this month and so I always like to say act three of my life, act four is retirement and act five is the rainbow bridge. And I, when I think of that, it's like all these little stories, these snippets, if you will, of experiences, the people that we meet, the choices that we make, like should I or shouldn't I? Um, mm -hmm. And how that affects and influences where we are today, personally, professionally is, is huge. And I, I can't help but think that the early stages of my life, I learned very quickly that poise is a verb and presence is a noun and that you, if you do the work with your voice for your body and the learning and build that confidence, then you can show up in the state of being of who you are. And I'm grateful for my background in improvisation and theater, grateful for teachers that have molded and shaped me and supported me when we had dress up day in fifth grade and nobody showed up but me as Mary Poppins, because uh, you, you got to go serious, like it was storybook day. And my teacher said, I love your creativity. And she mm -hmm. could have said nothing. And I just sit with myself by myself, only one who dressed up, but instead really saw in me. And it was because of that fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Hogaveen, whom she really molded and shaped who I am today and encouraged it and, and, promoted it and said, you know what, you're going to do things with speaking and communicating. We're going to do a little show here in fifth grade. I think you want this main part. She knew I loved reading aloud and fostered that. And I'm so grateful to her for that. Whew, so much support along the way that you've had uh, to really help you grow. Um, yes. it's, it's just so beautiful to hear. Um, I want to also hear before we get to the two other questions, which we will get to, I, I want to hear about the TEDx speaking because mm -hmm. tell, tell us what that, tell us if you were nervous and what it was like up there. It was one of the most nerve wracking moments in my life. And, and that's funny to say, because here it's the very thing I teach and I coach and, and consult on for various speakers when they have that goal, that dream to get on that big red dot. But I, my TEDx experience was really, really good for me because what it did is put me in a process of walking through what, because it's a high stakes experience. And I was able to talk about ag arts and new experience together. So it was this idea of using arts to teach where a food comes from. And that was what I decided to that we need to do it together, that experiencing agriculture and art together is where we'll learn and grow and shapes us. And that was my idea we're sharing and spreading. And the process was, you know, not only from a tryout standpoint, but also the crafting of a message and really narrowing the focus that you have less than 18 minutes. How can you get that one big idea? How do you make it engaging? You know, all of that. But the bigger thing was, is the, the, the craziness in my head and mm. how much I was really putting pressure on myself. Well, people are going to expect, you know, all that heaviness of mm. weighing myself down with the potential judgments. Yeah. We do that worse uh, to, we are sometimes our worst, but not our worst enemy, not best friend. 
And so I, you know, in TED, they really push you to memorize your talk. And I always, when I encourage people, it's like memorization can cripple you sometimes because if you don't remember that exact line, that exact sense, it can trip you out and then you don't know where you're going or where you've been. And so I did memorize the talk against my own better judgment, but it went well. But I tell you what, it was the most exhausting experience, like the rigor, because I was working nonprofit at the time, about 70 hours a week, trying to write this, this story, this talk, do it at my very peak performance when I'm exhausted and push mm-hmm. through. But my adrenaline and my theater self just really took over. Yeah. And then I just decided, I really said, just trust, put your feelings into the talk and just put it out there. And I tell you what, it was the heaviest, hardiest sleep I've ever had when I just collapsed into bed that night of a job well done. But it is, it was worth the rigor. And it taught me very quickly that with TED, it's a beautiful experience. First of all, you got to have the passion for that topic. You got to do the preparation. You got to do the practice. But you got to pause. It's that spaciousness that you give yourself of you know, not only verbally when you perform and share information so people can take it in and digest it, but also when you're in the process of creating a story or a talk, giving yourself a beautiful cadence that doesn't rush you, that doesn't, that Mm. to me, that process is super important. So you don't want to say yes to a TED. Usually that's why it's a six month experience so that you can chip away at it. And then by the end, you're ready. But I mean, I think about some TEDx speakers like Jim, uh, Jill Bolte, um, and she did about brain research and she, she practiced, I think like something like 700 times. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an obscene amount. It was hundreds. I don't remember exactly. It was like hundreds of times, which wow. says to me, and it looked natural. And that's the other challenge too. Like you can over practice the point where you're bored with the talk. So you got to find that healthy, happy balance, but it's getting out of your head and into your heart. So is there space for improv on that stage? Yeah, Yeah, I would say, so there's two types of speakers. There's your randoms and there's your sequentials and you prefer one or the other. I'm more of a random, but I see the value in sequence, obviously, because your audience needs to know where you're going. Well, you right. have now more than ever, the trend is 12 minutes or less for TED. That's why they really push memorization. So I always, when I've coached people, everybody has a speaker style that's different. So if you need to know your first line, your last line, your basic structure, and in general, how you're going to talk about now, I would say light elements of improv because 12 minutes goes by ridiculously fast and yeah. we tend to be a lot more verbose. Yeah. Even my responses. I mean, I could talk with you all day long. I get excited. My enthusiasm for something goes and I just whoop, a response becomes five, seven minutes. Right. And we don't right. even know. So right. I think that it's improv light. It's really heavily structured, heavily practiced, heavily performed. Mm. And the three other P's that I got from you that you said before was passion, practice and pause. Right. And poise. I mean, and, and then you'll have that presence. I love alliteration. So yeah, it's, mm. and, and the pause to me is probably one of the most important P's that we don't, that we tend to forget is the, the beauty of silence and the beauty of silencing the mind. I, I think it, it's a beautiful point to be able to make just in life in general and in mm-hmm. conversation there. It's so true, especially now, I think, cause things move so quickly 
and people expect my husband's uh, he's a tv film editor and he's working on a sizzle reel for something and oh cool they're like they're like well instead of it being three minutes it has to be a minute to a minute and a half it's like are you serious people don't have they don't have the attention span for another minute and a half like it's just it's so like boom 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 but well that's the evolution of the elevator speech right i remember teaching college students oh you have three minutes to say your elevator pitch or whatever and it became two then it became one and a half now it's 30 seconds it's ridiculous (laughs) it's crazy it is but i think i wanted to just point out the power of the pause Mm -hmm. it's so important in conversation and because people get uncomfortable with the pause it can be it can be uncomfortable when you're speaking with someone and you kind of are worrying about what do i say next Mm -hmm. or when a speaker when you're having the conversation and there's the pause and the person is waiting for what's going to come next right i actually did an experiment yeah and i actually did an experiment with the pause with my college class that i took from tuesdays with maury by um, by Mitch Album and Maury Schwartz, his uh, late social sociology teacher, had stood in front of his class and said nothing. And then they were squirmy and things. So I did that for my communication studies course yeah. students. And it didn't take long before they were staring at me like, say something, say something, please, please, please. It's mm-hmm. like in the elevator, everybody stares at the numbers. And when they're just staring at you. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and so we had a really interesting conversation about what just happened here. And, and why why are we so uncomfortable with with silence? And we do fill the air with noise. And it's not generally purposeful. It's because of nervousness of, well, maybe my inner thoughts are so loud that I'm projecting them, you know? Mm-hmm. You're just making me, this conversation is making me think of it. I can't remember her name, but she's a performance artist. And this was a while ago, but she did this, um, like back from the seventies. And at one point at the MoMA in New York, she did a performance piece where somebody, she would sit at a table and a person would sit across from her and they would stare at each other. Mm. And there was, there was no words. There was just stare. So people would kind of take the seat and then they would just stare and see how long oh, wow. that they could hold the gaze with her. And the power in it was that, but then they brought on an old lover of hers that oh she my. didn't that she did not know was going to be there and he sat in the chair and all of the words that were being said with no words mm-hmm. all of a sudden her eyes changed and her eyes started tearing up and he started tearing up and no wow. words were said it was so beautiful <laughs> I just got chills from that because I was thinking when you said an old lover, I thought, oh, this is going to really be telling because the eyes are just, they truly are the windows into our soul. And I mean, when I was engaged in a theater training, um, that would be an exercise, how long you could hold a gaze with someone. And Mm -hmm. I've even noticed in professional settings that that is a challenge. And what a beautiful experience to witness that art of, of the eyes. It really is the art of the eyes. Yeah, that's a great way of saying it. When I and I did it with in the most awkward age when I was teaching middle school at the time. And oh, wow. I yeah, and I was like, I showed them that and then I had them sit across from each other and set a timer for like fifteen seconds to hold the gaze. And wow. um yeah, lots of giggles, lots of, you know not exactly knowing what to do. So we tried like 15 seconds, we tried 30 seconds, 
And it was just, it was really interesting. Well, and especially junior high students, they're awkward anyway. And so yeah. it's very, very intimate, just like uh, that's why people tell everything to their hairstylist when you touch touch especially the head is one of the most intimate spots on a person and so eyes are part of that and about 80% or so of our communication comes from facial expressions and eyes are just truly I mean you can tell when someone's deceiving you or how they feel about you just like you had noted with that um, the lover and the artist and how just yeah. they show it yeah 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 Whew. Okay. So before we get to our last question, I'm going to ask you my second question, which we'll spend just a little bit of time on because we're already getting to the top of the hour. Um, so just tell us a little bit for you, Tina, how you incorporate more creativity into your own life. I know we talked a lot about it, but are there other ways that yeah. you do it for yourself? Yeah. So I ask myself, how do I get creativity into my life? And I make it a priority. I actually block out time because I, I've asked myself what renews my creative spirit. And so I inspire myself, my playful spirit by being intentional and, and truly making it a priority. So it's the, it's the doing and the being. And, and I think about it physically, mentally, and spiritually. And so physically I dance to Broadway show tunes or jump on hay bales, play with my 26 goats, take nature walks, <laughs> rollerblade, bike, get into a rhythm. And what I find with that physical aspect of play, it, it's it's really a beautiful, soft, consistent cadence of movement that washes away and cleanses me of my crazy brain chatter and clutter. It's very freeing. So I think that that's important is having physical creativity. The mental creativity is I, I still read and delight in children's books like I'm Bored by Michael Ian Black or B.J. Novick's book Without Pictures. And the key is reading that out loud and having fun with it, especially if I can with a child. That makes it even more fun. But tuning into other fiction and nonfiction books to get perspectives from others and listening to the moth for stories or view inspiring art and movies, live performances, TED Talks, and just talking with other creatives and listening to other podcasts like this one really inspires my creative mental self. And then the spiritual side of my creativity, I, I really get in touch with the inside, which is taking time out to be silent and sit on my sandbar near the West Nishnabotna River and tune into a sunrise or sunset um, for my porch, meditate, have that quiet time and appreciate, express and, and gratitudes in my journal and do some writing. Take those artist dates, big or small, that's inspired by the, the author Julia Cameron by The Artist's Way. You know, at the heart, it's asking, you know, where where is your heart at home um, where and sit with that and that truth of who you are and spend time there and going back. So it's me going back to that childhood self and saying, what what did I really love to do and be with? Um, and and I just I love Kobe Yamada's child, book, the book of what do you do with an idea? And everything starts with an idea and, and those ideas can change the world. And so you've mm. got to rejuvenate yourself and be prioritizing and blocking off creative time it is the blocking out it, it's key it's because if you don't you will get lost absolutely we know that, and you're we know you're, you're, my mind and body tune into that when i don't block off the time yeah yeah we know this adults this is this whole adulting thing that we get caught up in and uh well i have to pay the bills and i have to do this and all these i have to i have to i have to's and um it's exhausting well, yeah, it's like my son said, he was a little sad when he turned 12 last March. And I said, why are you so sad? And he goes, oh, my childhood is flooding, you know, just going so fast before me. And now I'm going to have to work hard to play. 
Oh my God. (laughs) Isn't that the truth though? We adults deserve and should and could play. (laughs) Yes. Well, it kind of went back to what the question was in the beginning, you know, when you, when you said so much of what you described was about movement and um, the play and the movement and the physical and uh, just the whole fact of like, you know, dancing and singing and moving all of the, all of this is just, it's this whole, it, it needs to be done. It needs to get out. It needs to be expressed. There needs to be action. I love that you use need because it's so true. There is a need and it's really, I mean, I think of depletion and how depleted we become as human beings if we don't see that it's essential. It is a need to be creative. Yeah. Yeah. Depleted is the word. So do you have a morning routine? I do. I do. So I I wake up in the morning at 430 in the morning and um, I always step down and say, thank you. I'm, I'm grateful to get grounded and be and have one more beautiful day to create and to be. And then I draw a card Um, And it's a really neat, uh, the artist is from the Midwest and there are these prairie cards that focus on do, what do you want to do, know, claim, or um, feel. And I pick one that feels right and true and just read and focus on that and kind of meditate in that space. And then I read something that initiates creativity and journal. And then I, I just have a good conversation with my husband and we ask always like thoughtful questions of the day and then have a really beautiful smoothie and breakfast with my my son and then I play football in the yard from like 725 until 740 when my kiddo gets on the bus at our rural home and uh, today I especially was tuned into the crunch of the leaves and just the breeze blowing through our trees and just so full of gratitude that I have the blessing of having space in which I get to run and play on because something that was brought to my attention is I was a kid that had a play yard with green grass and got dirty and played K through sixth grade. But I've driven near so many rural and small town and city schools. They're all paved. They don't get to run in the grass. Um, And I think a lot of it is probably due to don't wanting, not wanting the school dirty. And I think what we, at the core as humans, we got to be okay with getting dirty, getting our hands into clay, even if that means, you know, the sculpting of something or allowing ourselves to roll around in leaves or jump in them with our kids. Uh, Getting dirty is where the creativity lies. And if we, if we really add restrictions to it, then it's not creative. Thank you for that whole, it's always so interesting to me that so many kids at a young age would be hesitant to get dirty. And, um, you know, besides sensory things with any kind of developmental delay or anything like that, it was just kind of a hesitation of, oh, they just didn't like it. And it's like, oh my gosh, (laughs) being so, being denied a childhood. And then, you know, it just kind of, you do. You need to. It's dirty is important, and I think just in kind of speaking it out loud on this, it's like then it transforms into permission to make mistakes mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff as we get older. Because when we get messy, it's just kind of like, oh man, look at all that on me. And then we stuff happens, and we kind of we can roll with it and we can go with it, and not take everything so seriously. Absolutely, and I think that that's. That's what it's all about, right? Is um, with whatever we do, it's being, it's having the openness and the trust 
in the self and the process and, and, and having a playful spirit, just showing up and, and playing for playing's sake. Yes. So as we are rounding this out, um, the last and final question, which kind of a little repetitive, but it's puts a little, uh, ribbon on it all, which is why do you think creativity is important? It's life. I, I can't stress that enough is if I had, it's my purpose, it's our purpose, it's the universe purpose. If we get up in the morning and there's nothing to expand our minds or challenge us to think, do, or believe differently or to, it's, it's, it's life. And if we don't have an element of creativity or a big part of our lives, then then for what? And it doesn't matter what path you walk on. Mechanics are creative with how they problem solve and the hands-on tinkering. I think of my grandpa Claire on the farm. He he was creative, and he and that's why I think we die inside. You know, with my mentor uh, who who left a, a position um, and retired, but had nothing to fill that heart-centered space. He's died inside. And that's heartbreaking, right? Is if you don't yeah. have something, a purpose, a creative space, then it's taking your life away. And to me, I would be dead if I wasn't creative. <sighs> Tina, how can people connect with you? They can connect with me on my website, tinabakehouse.com. That's Tina, T-I-N-A, Bakehouse, B as in boy, A-K-E, house as in casa.com. And would love to connect and hear more about your stories. I have a signature program that I can support people on their journey with not only a signature talk or story, but also just showing up as who they are and owning that and having that confidence and clarity to convey the message they desire at the workplace at the boardroom. Before we say our official goodbyes, is there anything, we've said so much, but is there anything that's top of mind or on your heart that you're like, I just want to say this one more thing? This one more thing is be present, be calm, be confident, because you are valued, you are valuable, and you're enough. Tina, thank you. And you're creative, right? Of course, we got to say it's all about creativity, but because of those things, yeah, what you have to offer, the doing yeah. and the being is the being is enough, but the creativity that you have to offer the world is worthwhile. That's what this space, and you just said that so beautifully, but that's why I love these conversations because without having to say the word creativity or creative, it's saying all these other words which mm -hmm. are the descriptors of it. Absolutely. And, They're all interconnected. I mean, because oh. in order to say I am creative or to be creative, it takes confidence. It takes the inner calmness of the mind to allow the body to work and just be fully present in the moment and to see value in it and others will see value in it. Thank you so much for hanging out, Tina, for this hour and having this inspiring conversation. Definitely not boring. Oh my goodness. I appreciate you and so love what you are and who you are and the, the, 
the push for creativity and the encouragement for it and that the conversations will keep on going. So I say this, Hollis, to be continued. Definitely to be continued. Thank you. Thank you. And those joining us live, thank you so much for being here. Those catching the replay, we know that you could be doing anything with your hour and we so appreciate you hanging out here with us. This space is all about inspiring each other, connection, and sharing stories. I believe we've always needed it, but I believe that we truly, truly, truly need it now more than ever. So please like, follow, share, all of that good stuff to be able to spread the word and get this out to more people so people can feel empowered and uplifted. So wherever you are in the world, I wish you a good morning, a good afternoon, a good evening, and look forward to connecting again real soon. So goodbye, everybody. Feeling inspired? Let's just get rid of this, throw away this whole perfectionism thing, this whole concept that we have to know how to do everything. You know what? You don't. <laughs> Let's just do things and try things and realize what we like and what we don't like. It's all part of the process. The self-awareness feels so good. You feel more connection to yourself, connection to others, and huh? be a happier, more joyful person. Just imagine that. So you are where you are in the process. So you can dip your toe in the water to try new things at a slower pace, or you can dive right in. Here at I Am Creative and Express Yourself Publishing, we meet you where you are. So there are so many ways to check us out. Explore our experiential kits. They have everything in them that you need to try new things. You don't have to buy anything else but this kit and just explore. There's Creative Shui, which is seven elements to join happiness. Through the Publishing House, Express Yourself Publishing, multi-author books, coffee books, solo book opportunities. It is all about expression, all about it. And it's, again, just trying these things and realizing what you're good at. Don't all of a sudden think that you only fit into one box because we don't. We are not made for boxes. <laughs> there is also my TV show, I Am Creative check it out. The links are all in the body of this podcast. You can just click the link and you know what? Don't say, oh, maybe I'll check it out tomorrow. Life's too short. Just click it. See what it's about. There is honestly no judgment. It's all about exploring the possibilities, expressing yourself and expanding your thinking. I will give you the website, which is IamCreativePhilly.com. So I am creative Philly, P-H-I-L-L-Y.com. And just remember that you are an expressive being, so own it. I am looking forward to hearing your story because we all have one.